Chapter 16 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 16 relates what became of Oliver Twist after he had been claimed by Nancy. The narrow streets and courts at length terminated in a large open space, scattered about which were pens of beasts and under indications of a cattle market. Sykes slackened his pace when they reached this spot, the girl being quite unable to support any longer the rapid rate at which they had here to walked. Turning to Oliver, he roughly commanded him to take hold of Nancy's hand. Do you hear? growled Sykes as Oliver hesitated and looked round. They were in a dark corner, quite out of the track of passengers. Oliver saw, but too plainly, that resistance would be of no avail. He held out his hand, which happens his class tight in hers. Give me the other, said Sykes, seizing Oliver's unoccupied hand. Yeah, bullseye! The dog looked up and growled. Yeah, boy! said Sykes, putting his other hand to Oliver's throat. If he speaks some so soft a word, hold him! Do you mind? The dog growled again. And licking his lip, eyed Oliver as if he were anxious to attach himself to his windpipe without delay. He's as willing as a Christian strike me blind if he isn't, said Sykes, regarding the animal with a kind of grim and ferocious approval. Now that you know where you go, spack master, so cool away as quick as you like, and the dog will soon saw that game. Get on, you're gone. Bullseye wagged his tail in acknowledgement of thus unusually endeavouring form of speech. In giving vent to an admonitory growl for the benefit of Oliver, they led the way onward. It was Smithfield that they were crossing, although it might have been Grosvenor Square, for anything Oliver knew to the contrary. The night was dark and foggy. The lights in the shops had scarcely struggled there through the heavy mist, which thickened every moment and shrouded the streets and houses in gloom, rendering the strange place still stranger in Oliver's eyes, and making this uncertainty the more dismal and depressing. They had hurried on a few paces when a deep dark bell struck the hour. With its first stroke, his two conductors stopped and turned their heads in the direction whence the sound proceeded. Eight o'clock bell, said Nancy, when the bell ceased. What's good of telling me that? I can hear it, can't I? replied Sykes. I wonder what they can hear it said Nancy. Of course they can, said Sykes. It was bought ten million time when I was shopped, and there wasn't a penny trumpet in the fair, as I couldn't hear the squeaking on. I was locked up on the night that Rowan did outside me this under an old jail so silent that I could almost beat my brains out against the iron plate to the door. Poor fellow, said Nancy who still had a face turned toward the quarter in which the bell had sounded. Oh, Bill, such fine, nice young chaps as them. Yes, that's all you women think of, answered Syke. Fine young chaps! Well, they're as good as dead, so it don't much matter, 
With this consolation, Mr. Sykes appeared to repress a rising tendency to jealousy, and clasping Oliver's wrist more firmly, he told him to step out again. Wait a minute, said the girl. I wouldn't hurry by, but if I was you, with the, was coming out to be hung next time eight o'clock struck Bill, I'd walk round and round the place till I dropped. If the snow was on the ground, and I hadn't a shawl to cover me, and what good would that do? inquired the unsentimental Mr. Sykes. Unless you could fit the chair of fire and twenty feet old sack rope. You might as well be walking fit for my awful walking awful good to do me. Come on and don't stand preaching there. The girl burst into a laugh. <laughs> Drew a shawl more closely round her and they walked away. Oliver felt her hand tremble, and looking up in her face as they faced a gas lamp, saw that it had turned a deadly white. They walked on by little frequented and dirty ways, for a full half-hour meeting very few people, and those appearing from their looks to hold much the same position in society as Mr. Sykes himself. At length they turned into a very filthy and narrow street, nearly full of old clothes shops. The dog running forward, as if conscious that there was no further occasion for his keeping on guard, stopped before the door of a shop that was closed and apparently untenanted. The house was in a ruinous condition, and on the door was nailed a board, intimating that it was too let, which looked as if it had hung there for many years. All right, cried Sykes, glancing cautiously about. Nancy stood below the shutters, and Oliver heard the sound of a bell. Ding, ding. They crossed to the opposite side of the street, and stood for a few moments under a lamp. A noise, as if a sash window were gently raised, was heard, and soon afterwards the door slowly opened. Mr. Sykes then seized the terrified boy by the collar with very little ceremony, and all three were clickery inside the house. The passage was perfectly dark. They waited while the person who had let them in chained and barred the door. Anyone there? No, replied a voice which Oliver thought he had heard before. Is no one here? asked the robber. Yes, replied the voice. And press us down in the mouth he has been. Won't he be glad to see you? Oh no. A sigh of this reply, as well as the voice which delivered it, seemed familiar to Oliver's ears, but it was impossible to distinguish even the form of the speaker in the darkness. Let's have a glim, said Sykes, or we should go breaking our necks or treading on the dog. Look after your legs if you do. Stand still a moment and I'll get you one, replied the voice. The receding footsteps of the speaker were heard. And, in another minute, the form of Mr. John Dawkins, otherwise the artful dodger, appeared. He bore in his right hand a tallow candlestock in the end of a cleft stick. The young gentleman did not stop to bestow any other mark of recognition upon Oliver than a humorous grin, but turning away, beckoned the visitors to follow him down a flight of stairs. They crossed an empty kitchen and opened the door of a low, earthy-smelling room, which seemed to have been built in a small backyard, and were received by a shout of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wig! 
My wig! cried Master Charlie Bates, from whose lungs laughter had proceeded. Here he is! Oh, cry! Here he is! Oh, Faggy, look at him! <laughs> Faggy, do look at him! I can't bear it! Such a jolly game! I can't bear it! Oh, me, somebody will love you that! With this irresistible addition of mirth, Master Bates laid himself a battle on the floor and kicked him all civilly for five minutes in an ecstasy of facetious joy. Then, jumping to his feet, he snatched a cleft stick from the dodger and advanced to Oliver, viewing him round and round, while the Jew, taking off his nightcap, made a great number of low bows to the bewildered boy. The artful, meantime, was a rather saturnine disposition, and seldom gave way to merriment when he interfered with business, rifled Oliver's pockets with steady assiduity. Look at his togs, <laughs> said Charlie, putting an eye so close to his new jacket as nearly to set him on fire. Look at his togs! Superfly cloth and heavy swell car. Oh my eye, what a game! And his box too! Nothing but a gentleman, Fagin! Delighted to see you looking so well, my dear, said the Jew, bowing with mock ability. The artful shall give you another suit, my dear, for fear you should spoil that Sunday one. Why didn't you write, my dear, and say you were coming? We'd have got something warm for supper. At this, Master Bates roared again. I <laughs> <laughs> in himself relaxed, and even the dodger smiled. But as the artful drew forth the five-pound note at that instant, it is doubtful whether the sally of the discovery awakened his merriment, Hello, what's this? inquired Sykes, stepping forward as the Jew seized the note. That's mine, Fagin! No, no, my dear, said the Jew. Mine, Bill, mine. You shall have the books. If that ain't mine, said Bill Sykes, putting on his hat with a determined air. Mine and Nancy's, that is. I'll take the boy back again! The Jew started. Oliver started too, though from a very different cause, for he hoped that the dispute might early end within his being taken back. Come! Hand over, will you? said Sykes. This is hardly fair, Bill. Hardly fair, is it, Nancy? inquired the Jew. Fair or not fair? retorted Sykes. And over, I tell you! You ain't Nancy and me has got nothing else to do with our precious time but to spend it in scouting out uh, and kidnapping even young boy as gets grabbed through you! Give it here, you malicious old skeleton! Give it here! With this gentle remonstrance, Mr. Sykes plucked the note from between the Jew's finger and thumb. And looking the old man coolly in the face, folded it up small and tidied it in his handkerchief. That's for our share of the trouble, said Sykes. And no half enough neither. You may keep the books if you're fond of reading. If you ain't, sell them. 
very pretty. Uh, Charlie Bates, who was sundry grimaces, had been affecting to read one of the volumes in question. Beautiful writing, isn't it, Oliver? At sight of the dismayed look with which Oliver regarded his tormentors, Master Bates, was left with a lively sense of the ludicrous, fell into another ecstasy, more boisterous than the first. <laughs> they belong to the old gentleman, said Oliver, wringing his hands. To the good old, kind old gentleman who took me into his house and had me nursed when I was near dying of fever. Oh, pray send me back. Send him back the books and money. Give me all I have long, but pray, pray, send them in back. You'll think I stole them, the old lady. All of them who were so kind to me, will think I stole them. Oh, do have mercy upon me, and send them back. With these words, which were uttered with all the energy of passionate grief, Oliver fell upon his knees at the Jew's feet, and beat his hands together in perfect desperation. The boy is right. Remarked Fagin, looking covertly round, and hitting his shaggy eyebrows into a hard knot. You're right, Oliver, you're right. They will think you've stolen them. <laughs> Chuckled the Jew, rubbing his hands. It couldn't have happened better if we'd chosen our time. Of course it couldn't, remarked Sykes. I know that. Directly I see him coming through Kirkenwell with the books under his arm. It's all right enough. There's half-tarded psalm singers. Well, they wouldn't have taken him in at all. And, alas, no questions after him for fear they should be obliged to prosecute. And so get him lagged. He's safe enough. Oliver looked from one to the other, while these words were being spoken as if he were bewildered, and could scarcely understand what passed. For when Bill Sykes concluded, he jumped suddenly to his feet and tore wildly from the room, uttering shrieks for help, which made the bare old house echo to the roof. Be back the dog, Bill, cried Nancy, springing before the door and closing it, as the Jew and his two pupils darted out in pursuit. Get back the dog! He'll tear the boy to pieces! Serve him right! cried Sykes, struggling to disengage him from the girl's grasp. Stand all from me or I'll split your head against the wall! I don't care for that, Bill! I don't care for that! screamed the girl, struggling violently with a man. The child should be torn down by the dog, and it should kill me first! Shanty! said Sykes, letting his teeth. I'll soon do that if you don't keep off! The housebreaker flung the girl from him to the further end of the room, just as the Jew and the two boys returned, dragging Oliver among them. What's the matter here? said Sagan, looking round. The girl's gone mad, I think, replied Sykes savagely. No, she hasn't. Said Nancy, pale and breathless from the scuffle. No, she hasn't, Faker. Don't think it. Uh, keep quiet, will you? Said the Jew with a threatening look. No, I won't do that neither, replied Nancy, speaking very loud. Come, what do you think of that? Mr. Fagin was sufficiently well acquainted with the manners and customs of that particular species of humanity to which Nancy belonged, to feel tolerably certain that it would be rather unsafe to prolong any conversation with her at present. 
with a view of diverting attention of the company, turned Oliver. So you wanted to get away, my dear, didn't you? said the Jew, taking up a jagged knotted club which lay in a corner of the fireplace. Hey! Oliver made no reply, but he watched the Jew's motions and breathed quietly. Wanted to get assistance! Called for the police, did you? sneered the Jew, catching a boy by the arm. We'll cure you of that, you my young master! The Jew inflicted a smart blow on Oliver's shoulders with a club and was raising it for a second when the girl, rushing forward, wrested it from his hand. She flung it in the fire with a force that brought some of the glowing coals whirling out into the room. I won't stand by and see it done, Fagin, cried the girl. You've got the boy, and what more could you have? Let him be, let him be, or I shall put that mark on some of you that will bring me to the gallows before my time. The girl stamped her foot violently on the floor as she vented this threat, and with her lips compressed and her hands clenched, looked alternatively at the Jew and the other robber. Her face quite colourless in the passion of rage and which she had gradually worked herself. Why, Nancy, said the Jew in a soothing tone after a pause, during which he and Mr. Sykes had stared at one another in a disconcerted manner. You, you're more clever than ever tonight. <laughs> My dear, you are acting beautifully. Am I? said the girl. Take care, I don't overdo it. You will be the worse for it, Fagin, if I do. And so I tell you in good time to keep clear of me. There is something about a roused woman, especially if she add to all her other strong passions the fierce impulses of recklessness and despair, which few men like to provoke. And the Jew saw it would be hopeless to effect any further mistake regarding the reality of Miss Nancy's rage, and, shrinking involuntarily back a few paces, cast a glance, half imploring and half cowardly, at Sykes, as if to hint that he was the fittest person to pursue the dialogue. Mr. Sykes, thus mutely appealed to and possibly feeling his personal pride and influence, interested in the immediate reduction of Miss Nancy to reason, gave utterance to about a couple of score of curses and threats, the rapid production of which reflected great credit on the fertility of his invention, as it produced no visible effect on the object against whom they were discharged, however. He resorted to more tangible arguments. What do you mean by this? said Sykes, lacking the inquiry with a very common imprecation concerning the most beautiful human futures, which, if it were heard above, only one out of every three thousand times that it is uttered below, would ready blindness as common to disorder as measles. What do you mean by it? Burn my body! Do you know who you are? And what you are? Oh, yes, I know all about it, replied the girl, laughing hysterically and shaking her head from side to side with a poor assumption of indifference. Well, then, keep quiet, rejoined Sykes with a growl like that he was accustomed to use when addressing his doll. Or I'll quiet you for a good long time to come. The girl laughed again. <laughs> Even less composedly than before, and darting a long misty look at Sykes, turned to face its side and bit her lip till the blood came. 
You're a nice one, added Sykes as he surveyed her with a contemptuous air. Take up the main and genteel side. A pretty subject for the child, as you call him to make a friend of. God almighty, help me, I am, cried the girl passionately. And I wish I'd been struck dead in the street, or to chain places with them we passed so near tonight, before I lent a hand in bringing him here. Is a thief, a liar, devil, all that's bad from this night forth. Isn't that enough for the old wretch without blows? Come, come, Sykes, said the Jew, appealing to him in a remonstrant tone. Of the boys, who were eagerly attentive to all that passed. We must have civil words, civil words, Bill. Civil words, cried the girl, whose passion was frightful to see. Civil words, you villain. Yes, you deserve them from me. I thieved for you when I was a child, not half as old as this, pointing to Oliver. I have been in the same trade and in the same service for twelve years since. Don't you know it? Speak out! Don't you know it? Well, well, replied the Jew with an attempted pacification. And if you have, it's your living. Aye, it is, returned the girl, not speaking, but pouring out the words in one continuous and vehement scream. It is my living, and the cold, wet, dirty streets are my home, and you're the wretch that drove me to them long ago, and it'll keep me there day and night, day and night till I die. I shall do you a mischief, interposed the Jew, goaded by those reproaches. A mischief worse than that, if you say much more. The girl said nothing more, but tearing her hair and dress in a transport of passion, made such a rush at the Jew as would probably have left signal marks of her revenge upon him, had an outer wrist being seized by Sykes at the right moment, upon which she made a few ineffectual struggles and fainted. She's all right now, said Sykes, laying her down in a corner. She's uncommon strong in the arms when she's up in this way. The Jew wiped his forehead and smiled, as if it were a relief to have the disturbance over, but neither he nor Sykes, nor the dog, nor the boy, seemed to consider it in any other light than a common occurrence, incidental to business. It's the worst of having to do with women, said the Jew, replacing his club, but they're clever, and we can't get on in our line without em, Charlie. She'll her to bed. I suppose he'd better not wear his best clothes tomorrow, Fagin, had he? inquired Charlie Bates. Certainly not, replied the Jew, reciprocating the grin with which Charlie put the question. Master Bates, apparently much delighted with his commission, took the cleft stick and led Oliver into an adjacent kitchen where there were two or three of the beds on which he had slept before. And here, with many uncontrollable bursts of laughter, he produced the identical old suit of clothes which Oliver had so much congratulated himself upon leaving off at Mr. Brownlow's, and the accidental display of which, to Fagin, purchased them, had been the very first clue received of his whereabout. Put off the smart ones, thought Charlie, and all give them to Fagin of it, quick hero. What fun it is! Poor Oliver unwillingly complied, Master Bates rolling up the new clothes under his arm. They parted from the room, leaving Oliver in the dark.
locking a door behind him. The noise of Charlie's laughter and the voice of Miss Betsy opportunely arrived to throw water over her friend and perform other feminine offices for the emotion of her recovery, might have kept many people awake under more happy circumstances than those in which Oliver was placed. But he was sick and weary, and he soon fell sound asleep. The end of chapter 16 of Oliver Twist.